Open up your Bibles very quickly to Genesis chapter 50. Remain standing. We're going to sit in a moment. And Pastor, making us stand a long time today. If it's any consolation, I will remain standing after you sit down for the remainder of the service. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20. I want to welcome you all to the house of the Lord this morning. I believe you made a good decision to come to the house of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God is in the business of shaping and reshaping and making all things brand new. Amen. The invitation of Jeremiah was go down to the potter's house. And there you will see him working on the wheel. And the Bible says that he had a clay in his hand that was marred. And you were to think that like most people, if it's marred, it's messed up. Let me just throw it out and get a new lump, right? But your God is in the recycling business. Oh, you ought to want to praise him right there. Like, ooh, there was a moment in my life where he looked at my life and said, oh. I said, y'all don't want to be real in church. He looked at my life and he said, ooh. And he could have said, you know what? I can't use him. I'll use somebody else because he has too much. But the Bible says that he takes it and he makes it again. He remakes it. Anybody in here can praise him for being remade? He'll take a mess and turn it into a message. Oh, that's my testimony. I don't know about you, but that's my testimony. Amen. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about today, but that was for somebody. Genesis 50. Verse number 20. I'm just going to start with this text right here. For those of you who don't know the backdrop of this text, this is Joseph who is speaking. He's toward the end of his suffering. He is the prince of Egypt right now. He is second in command to the Pharaoh. He said, God made me Lord over the Pharaoh. And now his brothers who did him wrong. Have you ever been done wrong? Well, let me, let me add to that. Have you, ever th have you ever been done wrong by people who were supposed to love you? His brothers who did so much harm to him are standing before him. And he's at a place where he can exact vengeance. He, he, he can easily say, it's payback time. But that's not what he says. This is what he says. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God... But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. It didn't feel good, but it was working for my good. So concerning every child that got in here. I want you to look at somebody with some confidence and just say, it's all good. And this morning, I want to start a new series. I started talking to the Spanish congregation about this, but I decided I got inspired to make it a series. And so for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to you under the subject, tough questions, solid answers. Tough questions, solid 
answers. Do you have solid answers for the tough questions that are going to come your way? For the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Statistics show that the number of evangelicals that can defend the gospel is decreasing. Because we're having a hard time handling the tough questions. And so I want to start talking to you about one in particular today. And we're going to see how the Lord leads us in time. But I want to deal with the fact or the question that many people ask. If God is so good, why does he allow so much evil? If God is so good, why does he allow so much evil? You ready to get into the word? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, add blessing to your word now. And we give you glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Glory to God. How many of you know that you serve a God that is orderly? He is a God of order. Amen. One of the things that amazes me as I look at the scriptures, even from the very beginning, from the onset, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, And God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, or formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then it goes on to say, And God said, Let there be light. And so God, watch this, immediately brings clarity to the chaos with his word. I said he brings clarity to the chaos with his words. What have you been speaking over your situation? Because you serve a God, watch this, who brings clarity over the chaos. Can I just help somebody in here? And this is a side note. Revelation comes to grant you an opportunity to bring things into order. I said, listen, revelation comes to grant you an opportunity to bring things in order. You can't walk around excited talking about, I got a revelation. I got a revelation. And you're not bringing things to order. Because the purpose for revelation, the reason the light came, is so that he could begin to bring things into order. And so the minute he says, let there be light, hallelujah, immediately following, everything starts coming into order. And if you have a revelation, you should have order. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? One of the things that amazes me about this particular text is that all this order is coming out of the darkness. Which allows me to know that God could bring something good out of something bad. I said, God can bring something good out of something bad. Are you in this place, church? You know, I I stand in amazement just when I think about creation. The Bible says that evidence of God is clearly seen in his creation. Amen, somebody. When I think about how the world, it just catered to me for a minute. The world is perfectly round. Uh, That alone is amazing to me. But the very fact that the world rotates around the sun. At an exact distance. This is the sun. This is the world rotating at an exact distance. As though somebody did it with a, with a compass. And it's, it's rotating. And it, listen, if it would get one inch closer to the sun, we would burn. If it would move one inch further, it would freeze. 
but it does not move, God, from the distance while it travels around the sun because something or somebody is holding it and sustaining it in its place. If that wasn't enough, I marvel at the fact that the earth also rotates while it's spinning, while it's going around, it's rotating. And it's rotating on an angle we refer to as its axis. And, and, and watch this, it makes for seasonal changes. It's how we have spring, summer, winter, uh, and fall. It's amazing to me how there are times where while the earth is turning, we are on the bottom and we can't tell. We are at the bottom and we don't fall out. We're at the bottom and even the water does not fall out. And you know, you look at me and you go, yeah, yeah, I know a little bit about science, Pastor. I, I understand that to be gravity, but who put it there? And why is it that the earth is one, if not the only planet that has it? Why is it that the earth has oxygen? And no other planet does. It's almost as though it was created for us. It was almost as though somebody was preparing it for us. It's as though the earth was made with you in mind. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? And when I think about all the order in the cosmos, I can't help but to give God praise for intelligent design. All that intelligence was necessary to make that happen. There's no way that all that stuff just poofed into existence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's too much order for it to just come out of nothing without there being intelligence behind it. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah. Good things can come from dark places. Matter of fact, everybody in here under the sound of my voice spent nine months in darkness before you came into this world. All of us are familiar with darkness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But you represent that good thing that came out of that dark place. C.S. Lewis said this, sunshine proves the sun. Sunshine proves the sun. I'm sorry, shadows prove the sun. Shadows prove the sun. If you, if you see a shadow, you know that there's light. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? The shadow proves the sunshine. A lot of us right now can't wait for summer until it hits 98 degrees. And then we're like, oh God, I wish the summer would just end. It's too hot. And, and watch this. We try to get away from the sun and go into the shade. That shade actually proves the sun. Amen, somebody. You could have sunshine without shadows. But you can't have shadow without the sunshine. You can have good without evil. But you can't have evil without good. Oh, God, help me in here. Are you following what I'm saying? There has to be a standard of order before you can measure disorder. Because if you have disorder, what do you measure it to? Are you following what I'm saying? There has to be a good if there is a bad. If you're with me so far, shout glory in this place. 
It is this very truth that brought somebody like C.S. Lewis, who was a renowned atheist, to Christianity. Because he said, I thought that because of, because of all the injustice in the world, there could not be a God. And I was trying to use evil to disprove God. But what I found out instead was that evil actually proves God. Because in order for there to be all this injustice, it has to be compared to justice. And when I did my research, I found out that that justice has to be God himself. Are you in this place? He said, before I could call a line crooked, I have to first compare it to a line that is straight. So people who say, if God is evil, or if God is good, why does he allow all this evil? They're not disproving God. They're actually proving God. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Hallelujah. Let me ask you another question in this place today. Is God obligated to protect us? I didn't, I didn't ask you if the Bible talks about his protection. I asked you, is God obligated to protect you? Because I could show you some individuals in the scriptures that would tell you, if that is true, I didn't get that memo. And you think about some of Jesus' disciples, you think about Jesus himself, and you would understand that these men of God suffered greatly. And they didn't suffer greatly on account of not having faith. They had great faith and still suffered, which allows us to know that we are not exempt from problems. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah, Jesus. They suffered. Now, you might be in here, and you have said what many other people have said, which is simply this. If God is so good, why doesn't he just remove all the bad out of the world right now? Well, let me help you try to understand that. If God decided right now, I'm going to deal with all the bad in the world, and I'm going to remove all the bad, he would have to start with you. It's amazing to me how every time we refer to the bad in the world, we take the onus off ourselves and are very, very easily put it on someone else or something else like you don't do bad all by yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We do evil. We ain't perfect. So if God decided I'm going to deal with all the bad right now, he would have to start with you. And he would have to start with me. And the very first thing that God would have to do is take away, snatch away the free gift, watch this now, of free will. First thing, your ability to choose, he would have to snatch it. Are you following what I'm saying? If he takes away your ability to choose, understand that now you cannot love. Why you say that? Because love is a choice. I said love is a choice. Pastor Sharice is not here today, so I'm going to talk about her. I know my wife loves me. I do. I'm confident of it. I know she loves me. How do you know, Pastor, that she loves you? Because she chose me. Out of all them other jokers in the world, 
She picked this one right here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know because she chose. It wasn't a fixed marriage like some cultures do. If, if you have a fixed marriage, the people in that matrimony will never know for sure whether the other person loves them because they did not have a choice. They were forced into it. Real love is a choice. If you lose your ability to choose, then you are just a robot with no options. But if I give you the ability to choose, then I cannot force you to serve God. Because you can choose. And God didn't want robots. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He didn't want to make nobody love him. Because then how would he know that you really love him? And so he had to give you a free will so that you can choose to love him at the expense of making a wrong choice like Adam and Eve did who made a choice that was incorrect and it cost them tremendous consequences. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you blessed in here, church? God is responsible for the fact of freedom. But we humans are responsible for the acts of freedom. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Now regarding evil, if God has permitted it, could it be that God has a plan behind it? Could it be that we have a very limited perspective on evil? Could it be that because I am a finite being stuck in a dimension called time and I'm only in the middle of my story and don't really know how it's going to play out, my view is limited. But the God that I serve sees the end from the beginning. And so he doesn't just have a good view. He has a complete panoramic view of my and your whole story isn't that powerful God's already been to the end and back of your life God has seen you come out of things you haven't even got into yet are you hearing what I'm saying in here hallelujah that's a mighty God in other words could it be that there is purpose in my pain Could it be that there is purpose in my, could it be that my suffering can bring about a greater good in my life? Are you in this place, church? There are plenty of scriptures in the Bible, hallelujah, that will testify to that. You go to James chapter 1, hallelujah, and uh, we won't go there for the sake of the time. Most of you know this particular text. I think it's verse number 2 where James preaches a message that I don't believe he probably got a lot of hand claps on. I, I don't believe that he got a lot of um, preach it. You know, preach it, James. <laughs> or amens when he preached this message. Hallelujah. But James is the guy who basically starts uh, his book by saying, listen, when trouble comes, get happy. That's his message in chapter one. When trouble comes, get happy. Let me give you the Bible. Count it all joy. When various trials come to try you. 
What is he saying? When trouble comes, get happy. If you read the rest of that text, you begin to understand that the trouble is coming with purpose. You begin to understand that James lets you know, hallelujah, that the only way to build patience in a man's life is through trials. I wish I could just go to school and take a class on patience. I wish, I wish I could get a certificate for it and be done with it and, and be able to say I have graduated from the school of patience. Amen? But that's not how patience comes. And some of you might say, well, I'm praying for patience. And that's good. But understand that your God answers prayer. And so when you pray for patience, he sends trials. <laughs> because the only way you build patience is through trials. And this is why the rest of James says, now you have to let patience have its perfect work so that you will be complete and lacking nothing. So do you see how the trouble is coming with a purpose that might not feel good, but will end up being good for you? And so there's good coming from the bad. Are you in this place, church? Are you starting to see what I see? Listen, there are some virtues that unfortunately are not developed, but by pain and suffering. Let me give you some examples. You can't develop courage if there is no danger. Uh, you can't develop perseverance if there are no obstacles. You cannot develop compassion without suffering. You can't develop patience without tribulation. You cannot develop character without adversity. And you cannot develop faith or trust without need. Are you in this place, church? And so watch this. This morning, God put it in my heart. Give the people on Sunday some theology. So I'm going to give you some theology on God. I hope you're ready for me. I don't plan to be long. Amen. I only have one main point on today. It's like, oh, wow. One point, Pastor. We might, we might just get out of here at a decent time today. I do have a main point, but I do have some sub points. <laughs> For the main point. Amen. But just stay with me. All right. Put my main point up on the screen for the people of God to see it. The attitude of your heart is generated by your trust in God for the outcome. Now I want to read that one more time because that's the main point I'm going to be driving home. The attitude of your heart is generated by your trust in God for the outcome. I love what God does on a Sunday service sometimes because I don't know if you noticed, but the, the recurring theme since we started singing today has been trust. And, and, and that wasn't necessarily planned out. It's just God confirming his word even before we got to it. The attitude of your heart is generated by your trust in God for the outcome. Oh, God. Now, let me go back to this main text. Joseph is standing there. He's, he's, he is now the prince of Egypt. He is in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh has put all authority in Joseph's hand. Joseph is the man. Whatever Joseph says, that's what's going to get done. His brothers come, the same brothers who threw him in a pit, the same brothers who contemplated killing him, who took 
his coat of many colors off of him. And the same brothers that sold him into slavery are standing before him now. They don't know it's him just yet, but they're asking for help. Now, if it's you, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's place and don't act cute in church this morning. Put yourself in Joseph's place. Now, you know who they are. They did you wrong. They were supposed to love you because they were supposed to be your big brothers. And they mistreated you. They harmed you. They did you wrong. Some of you have this shocked look on your face like you never had someone close to you hurt you. They did him wrong. Now, he might be feeling some kind of way. Some of you would be feeling some kind of way. Some of you might be like, you know what? You're going to come over here. You have the audacity to come on over here asking for help when I know what you did to me. And I'm in a position right now to exact vengeance on you. He could easily say, you know what? It's payback time. Because you know how we do a lot of times. We return evil for evil. You did me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. Yeah. People do that even in relationships. Y'all not talking back to me. You're going to do me wrong, then I'm going to do you wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No good comes from that, by the way. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? It just escalates. But hear what I'm saying. He is, watch this, he's not showing anger. He's not manifesting hatred. All you're seeing from him is kindness, mercy, grace, love. And my question is, how is he so poised when these people hurt him so? And God began to minister to me. And God said, it has everything to do with his theology. His theology. Theo meaning God. Theology is the study of God. It has everything to do with what he knows about his God that is allowing him to stay poised Even during tough situations, are you in this place? He begins to understand, or God begins to show him, watch this, that his trials are actually going to be good for his family. And that his trials ultimately is going to be good for the whole nation. Because God's going to use this man to save Israel. Are you in this place, church? You study this story, you find out that it is a story of pain and prosperity. Trial and triumph. Are you in this place? Believing in the providence of God can free us from bitterness. Believing in the providence of God can free us from bitterness. Oh God, help me in here. If you got good theology, you will be a forgiving individual. But if you harbor bitterness and are having a hard time forgiving other people, chances are you have poor theology about who God is. And your heart is not being generated by a trust that believes God for the outcome. Even though right now, it's not looking very good. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Some of us get bitter because we doubt God's goodness. And because we can't see God's invisible hand working 
behind the scenes. We automatically assume that God is not involved. When I want to submit to you that God is involved. Believing in God's providence can give us a new perspective on our tragedies. Here's what I know about God. He is involved with me even in my worst situations. And I have good theology. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And I don't need to feel him to know that he's there. Because I don't move by feelings. I move by word. And if he said I'm with you, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. I trust in his providence. And therefore, it gives me fresh perspective on what I'm going through. Are you in this place, church? Believing in God's providences, watch this, gives us courage to keep going in hard times. Believing in God's providence, watch this, constrains us to live by faith. You should get to a place, hallelujah, in your walk with God, in your understanding of who God is. Watch this. Where you see your enemy's intentions as God's instruments. You meant it for evil, but God, Joseph is saying, I understand something now, hallelujah, that even the enemy's intentions can be God's instruments. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah, Jesus. Woo. Faith rises above feelings to choose to believe even when our circumstances may argue against it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me give you a sub point to my main point. Put it up there on the screen. And listen, write this down. You better get this right here. Hallelujah. The blessing of God is also a burden. The blessing of God is also a burden. Let me help you understand that. Listen, the minute Joseph has his dream, the minute Joseph gets a word from God via dream, things in his life immediately begin to change. Because, watch this, how many of you in here know that the word of God, when it comes to you, can come to you disruptive? The word of God is disruptive. The word of God will come into your life and disrupt your little five-year plan. You, and I, I, listen, I'm not encouraging you not to put a five-year plan together, but I'm just saying, you go ahead and plan. But you can put your little plan together and God will come with his word and that word will disrupt your little five-year... Oh, God, help me in here. Ask Mary. If Mary was here, Mary would tell you, I had it all planned out. Me and Joseph were going to get married. It was going to be real good. I was excited. We were going to buy a house, amen, we were going to a little ranch-style house. We were going to have a white picket fence. We were going to have 2.5 kids, 2.5 baths, two-car garage. It was going to be all nice until God came with his word and disrupted my whole life. And my little plan went out the window. And if she was here, she will testify his words were a blessing to me. But I also realized that that blessing 
was going to be a burden. I want to tell somebody in this place, you cannot have one without the other. They are related. They are connected. Are you listening to this preacher? Oh, God. This is why the first thing the angel tells Mary is, Mary, hail Mary. Highly favored of God. You want to know why he had to tell her? Because soon after she wasn't going to feel blessed. Sometimes you need someone to tell you you're blessed. To remind you because you don't have to feel blessed to be blessed. You don't necessarily, God help me in here. You don't necessarily need to be feeling blessed to be blessed. You just need to understand this theology that along with the blessing comes a burden. Ooh. But don't give up on the blessing on the count of the burden. It's part of it. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. glory. Ah, God, have mercy in this place. Because, watch this, I serve a God who often puts holy things in filthy places. I said I serve a God who puts holy things in filthy places. And everybody in here just lost a good place to shout. Because the only reason you are here today, the only reason you are saved today is because God put something holy. Because God put something holy in something filthy. You act cute, hallelujah, now that you're saved and act like you forgot where you came from. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in dirt. God has a way of putting holy things in filthy places. He told Mary that holy thing that you're carrying is going to be born in a barn. A holy thing coming out of a filthy place. A good thing coming out of a bad place. I ain't lost. Stay with me. A good thing coming out of a bad place. Oh, God. Those children, they're blessed. All four of them. Oh, I got four. But while they are a blessing, they could also be. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, act cute in church if you want to. Raising them can be burdensome. Come on, somebody. You ain't going to get a paycheck without having to go to work. And you ain't going to bring forth that cute little bundle of joy without having to deal with the pain of pushing that thing out. Are you in this place, church? On another occasion, Jesus said this, watch this to his disciples, let the wheat grow with the tares. The disciples told him, you know, like, do you want us to separate the wheat from the tares? And he said, no, you can't. They are entangled, they are connected. If you pull one, you will pull the other one out with it. Here's what I'm trying to say. You can't separate blessing and burden. You can't separate it. Are you hearing this preacher? Hallelujah. Something to think about for the next time you say, bless me, God. Just understand what that means. 
Amen. Blessings and burdens are related. Amen. As a matter of fact, I would say this. God can only bless you to the ability upon which you can stand the blessing. Or you can stand the burden. I'm sorry. He can only bless you upon the ability that you can stand that burden. If you can't stand that burden, you can't have that blessing. So the question becomes, can you stand to be blessed? I know you want to be blessed, but can you stand up under the burden that comes with that blessing? Oh, God, help me in here. Hallelujah. Let me give you the Bible on that. To whom much is given, much is required. Blessings and burdens are related. Amen, somebody? In other words, there is a relationship between your pain and your promise. There is a relationship between, watch this now, your power and your pressure. See, we, we like the idea of having power, but we don't want no pressure. And what I'm saying is you're not going to get power <laughs> without pressure. And you're not going to get promise without some pain. Am I helping anybody? Hallelujah. God's word comes and it'll disrupt your life. I've learned that God's word is heavy. <laughs> I said it's heavy. To carry a word of God over your life, that's heavy. So heavy, it's burdensome. It's not easy. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place, church? Oh, my God, have mercy. I got to move. Another thing that blesses me about this particular story, I just jumped onto Mary's story. Let me just hang out there for a second. Another thing that blesses me about this particular story is that Mary's thinking to herself, oh, this, this ain't good. But God is saying, oh, no, Mary, it's going to be real good. Ma Mary's thinking, uh, how am I going to tell my husband that I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost? That I'm pregnant supernaturally without the aid of a man. My husband is not going to believe that. He's going to think I was with someone else. He is going to want to call it off before it ever really got started. He is going to want to, like the Bible says, put me away. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is a side note. Whenever you're carrying something supernatural, there will always be somebody that will want to put you away. Watch this. So she's thinking to herself, this can't be good. And God says, oh, no. It's real good. It is real good. She's thinking it's bad, but it's not bad. It's actually really good. And here's the thing. She might not even be feeling good at the moment. Because how do I speak to Joseph? Like, how do I tell how do you tell somebody you, you're pregnant and it wasn't them? <laughs> They're your fiance and how do you, but it wasn't nobody else either. So she is, she is dealing with that. And so she might, not even be, she might even be feeling a little miserable about all her little five-year plan going out the window. And you know what God does? She's feeling miserable. God sends her to minister. 
Oh, my Lord. See, we, we have this idea that says, uh, if I'm miserable, I can't minister. But I'm, I'm going to mess you up in here today. Sometimes it's when you're miserable that you have to do the most ministry. Mm. And she's going through, she's trying to process this, and God sends her to her cousin's house, who is also pregnant, who's also carrying something. God sends her to somebody she can relate to. Can I help you in here? In this season, stop hanging out with people that can't relate to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Now, you're probably thinking, how can they relate when Elizabeth is in her old age, the Bible says? Old age. She's pregnant supernaturally too because she's past childbearing age. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then Mary is really young. And so you're saying, how are they relatable? They are definitely not relatable generationally, but I will tell you they are related based on circumstance. And I just want to say something in here, hallelujah. You young people, you millennials, that think you don't need no adults, hallelujah. Here is a picture of a young woman going to an older woman. Now, watch this. She's going to minister to her, but they need each other. God, help me in here. Because while you have energy, young person, I have experience. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I might not have energy, but I have experience. You have energy, but you lack experience. And so we need each other. I love this picture of a young generation going to an older generation. For, the, for those of you who don't know this story, Elizabeth is in seclusion. Most historians believe, Josephus wrote this down. Uh, it's not necessarily in the scripture, but Josephus was a, alive in the days of Jesus and the disciples. And he said, watch this, that most historians, including Josephus, believe that the reason Elizabeth went into seclusion was for fear that the thing she was carrying was dead. How, how intimidating to be carrying something that's not moving. And there are many of you in this place, even under the sound of my voice, who have been carrying something, a vision, a dream, something that you, you've seen yourself doing when you close your eyes and take trips in your imagination and God just shows you stuff and then you wake up and nothing is moving. And because it's not moving, you wonder, you ask yourself many a times, is it still alive? I came to minister to somebody in this place today to tell you it's not dead. I said it's not dead. Oh, my God. And I came to tell somebody in this place that thing that you've been carrying is getting ready to leap. 
And so I encourage somebody in this place to get ready for that leap, hallelujah, because it's coming. It's a matter of connection. It's a matter of a word. It's, it's a matter of who comes into your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? The Bible says that when Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, knocks on the door and salutes her, the thing inside of Elizabeth that was dead leaped. Leaped, hallelujah. Stop hanging out with people who don't make your baby jump. Stop hanging out with people, hallelujah, that don't make your dream come alive. Are you hearing what I'm saying, hallelujah? Sometimes the reason, hallelujah, it's not moving, hallelujah, is because you're trying to do it on your own. Or you've made wrong connections rather than right connections. Are you in this place, church? Oh, man, I, w I wonder if any of you in this place know the power of a right connection. A right hookup, hallelujah. Can I submit to you, hallelujah? It matters. It matters who you allow into your life. It, it matters who you allow to speak into your life. It matters what church you go to, hallelujah. It matters. It matters. My sheep know my voice. And the strangers, they will not follow. It matters who's speaking life into you. A right connection is so powerful, saints. The Bible says, watch this, that when Mary came in the room and saluted her, not only did the thing leap, the Bible says John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost as a baby. <laughs> Got to think about that. There ain't no other place in the Bible where you hear something about somebody like that. And if that wasn't enough, she got full of the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth. Woo. So watch this. She made a right connection. And not only did God bless what she was carrying, God blessed her. God help me in here. Are you in this place, church? If you're blessed in here, shout glory. glory. Oh, God. So listen, don't tell me you can't minister because you're miserable. It's when you're miserable that God will challenge you to minister the most. To see if you have right theology about what it is that's transpiring in your life right now. Oh, God, have mercy. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Show me 2 Samuel 16 and 10. Uh, 16 and 9, I'm sorry. 2 Samuel 16 and 9. I got to paint this for you, hallelujah. And I'm getting there. I'm trying to anyway. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says. Now, let me, let me set this up for you. David is walking with his men, with some of his mighty men, and he is on the run because his own son has turned against him. Isn't that something? Uh, Absalom has taken over the throne and has run his own father off, and his father is running for his life from his son. Isn't that something? And so watch this, he's walking and all of a sudden, he runs into this guy. And then Abishai, just in case you don't know, is David's right-hand man. He's one of his men, one of his mighty men. And so this man starts yelling at David. I just didn't want to read all that scripture, but listen. Starts yelling at David, cussing at David, saying evil things to David, picking up rocks, throwing them at David. You know, because it's one thing when somebody's telling you off in private. But how would you handle 
somebody insulting you publicly. Cussing at you, yelling at you. Some of you be like, oh, I know you. Come on, somebody. That's real. So watch this. This guy is insulting David. And David's right-hand man, Abishai, says this. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruah, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? And then he said, let me go over, I pray thee. Oh, he's saying, oh, please, David. Oh, just please, let me go over there and take off his head. I like that guy. Be like, hey, Abishai, he's talking about me. (laughs) So watch what David does. Watch what David does. Next verse. Hallelujah. And the king said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah? Watch this. So let him curse. So let him curse. Watch this. I'm going to mess you up right now. Because the Lord has said unto him. So far you were thinking the devil was in this guy, right? But listen to what the text says. Because the Lord has said unto him, curse David. Who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? Next verse. And David said unto Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. Talking about Absalom. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has bidden him. Next verse. It may be that the Lord will look at mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good Good for this cursing this day. Now, I can't, I can't, I don't have the time to really unpack this, but here's what you have to understand. This guy, Shimei, is a picture of what's happening in David's life with his son. His son is trying to kill him and is after him. And, and what this man is doing right now is just illustrating what's transpiring in David's life. And the fact that what's happening in David's life with his son is really affecting him. He is hurt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In this place. And in the, in the middle of feeling miserable. I ain't lost. Stay with me. In the middle of feeling miserable. This happens. And David, watch this. Anybody else would have been like, you know, not today. <laughs> because I got enough problems with my own family, in my own house, and I don't have time for you right now. And he could have easily just lost it, but here's what he senses. He hears him and he says, oh, I sense God. He says, I sense God in this. Watch this. He's feeling miserable, but he's being tested. He's being tested to see if he has a right theology for the next level God wants to take him to. Because when you have a right theology, you will not let bitterness, misery, unforgiveness, hatred keep you from progressing in the things of God. 
God, have mercy in this place. Hallelujah. God, have mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. I have a right theology. I know that God can bring good out of bad. So when things are bad, I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not going to flip out. I'm not going to curse. And I'm not going to throw nothing. To bust a wall open that I got to fix one hour later. Y'all not saying nothing in here. But like Joseph, you meant it for evil. But God, but God, oh, but God. Put my next sub point up there. I got to hurry. Enemies enable me to accomplish my assignment. Oh, God, here's what I know. Here's my theology. Listen, God doesn't just use saints to progress me. <laughs> He'll use enemies to help me accomplish my assignment. What Joseph is telling his brothers is, watch this, you helped me get to the place I needed to be for my purpose to be fulfilled. You meant it for evil. It did not feel good, but it positioned me. Oh, God, you need a kingdom perspective on friendship because most of us only have a Webster's Dictionary idea of what friendship is. But a real friend, oh, God, help me in this place. I said a real friend, watch this, is anything that pushes you towards your destiny. I said a real friend is anything that pushes you forward toward your destiny. This is why Jesus gets betrayed by a friend named Judas Judas comes to Jesus, kisses him on the cheek, points him out to the guards that are going to arrest him, and Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, friend. Oh, God, help me in here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because while it looks bad, and while it's not going to feel good, what's going to happen after that, it's all part of the plan. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? Oh, God, have mercy. Anything that pushes you forward. Listen, you got a lot of friends, that's nice. But if all they're doing is celebrating you where you are, those ain't real friends. Because a real friend doesn't just celebrate you where you are. Oh, God, help me in this place. This is why David said, I thank God for my enemies. The Lord prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Woo! You know what Joseph is saying? God will put the devil on payroll. Are you hearing what? These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me. These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me. These light afflictions. Listen, afflictions have weight. These light afflictions, they have weight. The Bible calls them light. Are working for me. These light afflictions, let me say something else, that are but for a moment. So watch this. Not only are they light, they have an expiration date. These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me. A far more exceeding weight of glory. So glory has weight. Affliction has weight. Glory has weight. According to that text, the affliction is light. The glory is exceeding. So what does that mean? Watch this. The greater the affliction, the greater the glory. Oh, God have mercy in here. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place, church? Hallelujah. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. They're doing it to him. It's one thing if you give me time to get over what you did to me. <laughs> but while you're doing it to me, I mean, while you're doing it to me, he's on the cross and they're doing it to him. And the first words that come out of his mouth, our father forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, my God. You are in a certain place <laughs> in your understanding about God and in your theology when you don't let anger, resentment, bitterness, come on, somebody, unforgiveness keep you from accomplishing your assignment. But you trust God for the outcome and you settle that in your heart. You don't know how it's going to end. This don't look good. This don't feel good. But like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. Jesus was telling Judas in not so many words, I'm so close. Hallelujah. To the end of my purpose, I'm so close to my destiny. There's no way in hell I'm going to let what you did to me, what you said to me. Oh God, help me in here. Hallelujah. What you tried to do to me, keep me from getting to my purpose. Hallelujah. Hey, friend. How's your theology? This afternoon, church, how's your theology? Are you blessed in here? Oh, God. You can't give up on your dream because, someone, because of someone else's opinion? I said you can't give up on your dream because of someone else's opinion. Some of you getting ready to throw in the towel just because somebody threw in some trouble. God is an expert of bringing good out of bad. God could have easily kept the apostle Paul and Silas out of prison. But he let them go into prison. Because, not because they did anything wrong, but because there was a jailer in there that needed to get saved. God, help me in here. Sometimes you go through and it's not even for you. He didn't do nothing wrong and he's in jail. But rather than complaining, why is this happening to me? Y'all not saying nothing to me, but stay right there. I'm coming. Watch. Why, God, I'm trying to live right. I'm coming to church, I'm paying my tithes, I'm doing the best that I can. Why is this happening? Why did you allow this? Paul and Silas don't do none of that because they're strong in theology. You know what they start doing? They start singing. They start praising God. This is bad, this hurts, I'm tired, I'm bleeding, it's midnight. Hey, let's give God a little praise. God, you don't hear me. In this place, hallelujah. And they see the glory of God manifest in that place. And God saves a man and his whole house. Sometimes you get in a circumstance, don't ask God why, ask God who. Because that was the situation. Who do you want to save? Why you got me at this job? <laughs> I don't like it. It don't feel good. Everybody in here need Jesus. You want to work somewhere where everybody's Christian. Everybody's nice. Everybody's kind. Can I help you in here? You cannot light the light. 
God needs light in darkness. Now why? Who, God? Who do you want to save here? Ah, we got to go, we got to go. Hallelujah. God loves taking crucifixions and turning them into resurrections. C.S. Lewis said this, and I quote, it's powerful. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Ooh, if Hannah was here, Hannah will tell you, I was barren. I was trying to have a baby, and I couldn't have a baby. And then Penina, Penina, Penina will provoke Hannah. First Samuel chapter 1 will provoke Hannah, make fun of her. Uh, let her know, oh, look at you. You ain't birthing nothing. I'm birthing stuff left and right. You ain't birthing nothing. You ain't got nothing. God don't love you. Start provoking her. And it don't feel good, but it's going to end up being good. God, help me in this place. And so watch this. Her provoking drives Hannah to her knees. And then provoking turns to prayer. And the Bible says, watch this, that when she prays, God opens up her womb. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Put my next one up there. I got to go fast. People's mistreatment of you creates opportunities for birthing. Don't get mad. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Trust the Lord. I said trust the Lord. How you act, how you react, how you respond will determine whether you're ready to birth it. Oh, have mercy in here. You want to hear something interesting? Penina means pearl. I said penina means pearl. You know where pearls come from? Pearls come from oysters. You find those oysters in the depth of the sea. You know that before technology, before deep sea diving, you know what deep sea diving looked like back in the days? This is how it looked like. Since a man didn't have enough breath to go all the way down and then swim all the way back up, he would have to tie a big boulder around his waist and jump in the water so that the boulder would take him down immediately. You needed the rock to go deep. Help me in here. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're never going to find the kingdom without the rock. God, help me in here. And you're never going to go deeper without him either. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's not even what I really want to say. What I really want to say is that you'll find the oyster, right? How do oysters produce pearls? Friction. It's only when a foreign substance, a particle of sand, gets in the oyster, disrupts the oyster, that the oyster goes into a defense mechanism where it releases a secretion that creates a layer over the sand, then another layer, then another layer, and then another layer, and eventually you have a pearl. But it begins with friction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You want pearls with no trouble? <laughs> Not going to happen. Amen? Blessing? Burden. Let me land the plane. Hallelujah. Understand that God has a higher vantage point than you do. He has the complete perspective. You are in the middle of your life and all you see is where you are. 
but God has already seen your whole life. You serve the God that sees the end from the beginning. Amen. He has a greater vantage point, and you are to trust the one who sees everything, not your limited view. That's why we walk not by faith. I mean, not by sight, church, but by faith. Amen. Put the next one up there. Your choice will not stop God's agenda. Your choice will not stop God's agenda. Your choice. God, help me in here. Because I know that you think you're so good that if you don't do it, it can't get done. But your choice will not stop. Listen, go to Esther chapter 4, somewhere around the 14th verse, and you're going to hear Mordecai, Esther's uncle, tell Esther, if you don't go before the king, deliverance is going to come from another place, and your house is going to perish. Listen to what he's telling her. If you don't go before the king, don't think it's not going to happen. It will happen. The help will come from somewhere else, but your decision will not stop my agenda. God, help me in here. That's what Joseph was telling his brothers. Hallelujah. You meant it for evil. Hallelujah. You thought you were doing me harm, but even what you did to me to hurt me could not stop God's agenda. I ended up in the right place at the right time. Oh, my God. How is your theology this afternoon concerning God? And then the last one is simply this. God does not allow what he does not intend to use. God, I'm giving you theology. God does not allow what he does not intend to use. If God allows it, he's using it. I said if God allows it, he is using it. Hallelujah. God, help me in here. If God allows you to get thrown into a pit, hallelujah, it's because he's using it to get you to the palace. God, help me here. If God allows you, like Job, to lose everything, hallelujah, it's because he's using it to bring you to a place where you get double for your trouble, hallelujah. If God allows a Lazarus to end up in the tomb, hallelujah, God is using it to let the world know that he has power over death and he has the power to save, to heal, to deliver, and to set free. And if you believe it, give God a praise in this place. God is in control. Hallelujah. My God. And my theology is such, hallelujah, that I don't have to know it all. I don't have to have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted to trust God enough to know that he is working even when it does not look like it's working. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? You find treasure in dirt. The kingdom of God is like buried treasure. Good things coming out of bad places. God, help me in here. I'll close with this. You think about the diamond. Precious, right? Girl's best friend. I got one person said, yes, it is. <laughs> Girl's best friend. Listen, do you know where the diamond comes from? From volcanoes. Listen, from the depths of volcanoes. And you know how the diamond comes up? 
Heat and pressure. Heat and pressure. There is a system that exists to determine the value of a diamond. And they call it the four C's. Even though the last one starts with a K, they still call it the first C, the four C's, because it sounds like a C. But they call it the four C's. And I don't know if you know what that process is. But listen, the first part of the process is called the color or colorless. In other words, the more colorless the diamond, the more valuable it is. The less color, the more humble you are. The more transparent you are, the more valuable you are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The next part of the process is the clarity. The clarity, because when it comes up through the heat and through the pressure, it comes up with inclusions. It's what they talk about when they say it has defects. Amen? And sometimes the defects are very hard to spot. But the less defects, the more valuable, because it's being processed through heat and pressure. If you want God to use you greatly, it's not going to happen apart from the heat or the pressure. God is increasing the value of his church. To be a light and to shine bright in a very dark world. But you have to go through the process. Listen, the third part of the process is the cut. It's the cut. The diamond does not produce light. The diamond interacts with light. I said it does not produce light. It interacts with light. It is a reflection of the light. When you understand that you are not the light, but that you are a reflection, a reflection of that light, God can use you because you're always going to point to him as it pertains to the glory. Amen? And then finally is the carrot. How many carrots? 14 carrot. And the carrot talks about the size. The bigger the diamond, the more valuable. The bigger your heart, the more people God could use through you to reach. You meant it for evil against me, but God processed me through it for my good to get me to this place where I can lead a whole nation and be successful. You want to be used of God? You want to be a leader? There's no progress without process. You received the word of the Lord on today? Come on, give God a praise in here.
It's late. We got to go. Come on, give him a real good one. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say.